0: So I don't actually watch a lot of football. Now, by that I mean a version where the foot barely touches the ball. A football where the players look almost identical under their helmets and shoulder pads. Where the biggest event of the year is the Super Bowl, even though there's no actual bowling involved either. But having said that, my wife and I have enjoyed many a happy hour watching Friday Night Lights, an American football drama set in high school. And the level of support college football gets in the States is staggering. Just type Virginia Tech football into YouTube and you'll see what I mean. You'll see that when Virginia Tech run onto the field to a big backdrop of pyrotechnics, 65,000 fans bounce in rhythm to the beat of a song blasted from the tannoys. A song with the lyrics, sleep with one eye open, gripping your pillow tight, exit light, enter night. Presumably to express the nightmare that the opposition team are about to enter. And as we turn to Exodus 5, it is the people of Israel who are about to enter a nightmare. A darkness all the more disturbing because they thought that their deliverance was imminent their cries had been heard by god exodus 37 and moses and aaron had shown them god's plan and they had believed it exodus 431 and they worshiped god together it was like they had seen the light at the end of the tunnel and so we're on a spiritual high together. But exit chapter four, enter chapter five, and things don't go exactly as they expected. So here we are here we are with Moses' message. Or should that be Moses' message? I guess that depends on whether you say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer or in Jesus' name, not thinking of any Gordon in particular. Now for all Moses' past reluctance for being slow of speech, both he and Aaron seem to be well up for the task, and they march off to see Pharaoh. Probably humming away to that African hymn, we are marching in the light of God. And marching, marching, they reach Pharaoh's throne room and they go in with this bold opener. Thus says the Lord. But when Pharaoh hears the bit about let my people go, they get the resounding answer, I That will be right. Who is the Lord? says Pharaoh. Now, it's not that Pharaoh hasn't heard of the God of Israel before, but who is the Lord that I should do anything he tells me to do? He doesn't believe there are any consequences for turning down the Lord's request. And all around us today, plenty of people have heard about God and Jesus. I mean, they take their names often enough in vain to prove that. But the fact is that Jesus just isn't rated or taken seriously by people. It's that God isn't really real, He's just an imaginary man in the sky as I saw him described on social media recently. Who is God? Who is Jesus Christ that I should take them seriously? To tell me what to do? To tell me I need a savior? In the 1993 film, Groundhog Day, Bill Murray finds himself in the strange predicament of living the same day over and over and over. Eventually, he explains to Andy McDowell that he thinks he's a god. Not the god, he says, but a god. And all because he's been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned. And every morning, he says... I wake up without a scratch on me, not a dent in the fender. The pharaohs also believed they were gods. But unlike Bill Murray, they were deadly serious about it. And this pharaoh was no exception. He was convinced he was a legit incarnation of an Egyptian god. He was also a believer in multiple gods. He's a polytheist. So he has no problem accepting that the Israelites have their own god. But Pharaoh's not for believing he's an important god. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's not on divine linked in with the god of the Hebrews. And he views the Israelite God a bit like lowly Accrington Stanley compared to his Manchester City sovereign slave fund. So there's absolutely no chance he's gonna listen to Israel's God and let any of the Hebrews go. So Pharaoh thought he was a God Bill Murray thought he was a god, and yet when we try to control and manipulate our little universe, we behave like we are gods too, when we want to do whatever we want with people for our own ends. When that happens, then we're saying in our hearts, Who is the Lord? None of us would ever claim to be actual gods like Pharaoh, yet so often we act as if we were. And so the one true God has to humble us, to remind us that we are only harming ourselves as well as those around us. But what's a little surprising about the request in verses 1 and 3 is that it doesn't sound like Pharaoh needs to let God's people go forever. It sounds more like a parole request. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Have you ever read that and thought, is that not a wee bit disingenuous? Is that request entirely truthful? Because the plan of God was always full release. And yet there is no deceit involved here. The request is for worship of the one true God. God. And at the very minimum, that meant going into the desert for three days to celebrate. Because worship is always the point of redemption and freedom. So the request is more of a little poke at Pharaoh. A gentle test to see how he would respond And if he was even half reasonable or willing to listen, it could then have been clarified that this was just a sneak peek trailer of what would eventually take place, of what the Lord's director's cut would be. But Pharaoh's not interested in the trailer, and so he doesn't need to know any more than that for now. But in response, we see Pharaoh's flex. And Pharaoh cranks up the pressure on the Israelites for good oppressors' measure. To smash the hopes of the people. And put them off the leadership of Moses and Aaron. So that they'll pay no attention to lies. Verse 9. Pharaoh calls the word of God lies, just like our culture does today. Well, in fact, God's word remains the only thing in this world that doesn't contain any but then Pharaoh's new demand soon filters through to the Hebrews that you'll need to produce your regular number of bricks, but now bring your own straw. A nasty little twist on bring your own bottle. B-Y-O-B. Same quota bricks, but B-Y-O-S. Bring your own stubble. So not only was it impossible to get the quantity of straw from the fields post-harvest, it was impossible to get the quality of straw from the fields as well, because what is, le- what is left behind is just inferior old stubble. Straw was required to let the water come out of the clay bricks evenly. So good, strong bricks need good quality straw. And without the quality straw, the bricks were far more likely to crack. So of course they couldn't make the same number of bricks as before. And they would have had twice as many broken bricks now as well. So from the sweet prospect of escape from Pharaoh, this dystopian nightmare has unfolded. And the Egyptian taskmasters start beating up the Israelite foreman for failing to meet quota. And so the foreman appealed to Pharaoh. But really how much point is there in appealing to a tyrant's better nature? That better nature, if it ever existed, would have been binned off many years before. That's why we appeal to God instead. Because he has a better nature beyond belief. And he has the wisdom and power to intervene when the time is right. Appealing to Pharaoh was giving him just an opportunity to laugh his cruel tyrants' laugh at them. A chance to taunt them when they were down. Calls them idle, verse 17. Lazy, NIV. That's what you are, lazy. That's as ridiculous as handcuffing Arnold Schwarzenegger and then taunting him when he can't break free, calling him puny. That's what you are, puny. Pharaoh's mockery was also designed to demoralize them so that they would point the finger at Moses and Aaron, blame them for making their lives infinitely worse. And so just like that, those opinion polls plummet on Moses and Aaron's leadership. And hashtag Moses out begins to trend on Twitter. Hashtag not my president and so on. And so when the deflated foreman bump into Moses and Aaron in verse 20, they unload on them with both barrels. And they say... The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Verse 21. And all this when Moses and Aaron had been waiting outside for them in order to be supportive. Now, back when the Protestant Reformation was underway, a three-word Latin phrase was used as the rallying cry of the Reformers. Post tenebras lux, which means after darkness, light. Because God's people were rediscovering gospel light after a time of spiritual darkness. But for God's people in Egypt at this time it was post lux tenebras, after light darkness, after hope despair, after worship anger, exit light enter night. Have you ever felt you were in Exodus 5, as it were? Ever felt so down in your Christian walk that you felt you didn't want to come to church at all? So down that you felt nothing to be joyful about when you were in church? Ever faked the emotion just to fit in? But deep down you thought God must be sick to his stomach with you. And had turned his back on you, as it were. But you also saw others around you just dripping with joy. And while you're glad for them, it almost makes it worse. Because you wonder if you'll feel anything like that ever again. Most of us will have experienced periods of post-lux tenebras, And if not yet, then they will come. Or you're already in one now. And so we have Moses' misery, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. That's not exactly the goat prayer, is it? You don't find any prayers like that in the Valley of Vision, the little Puritan prayer book, or in the Book of Common Prayer. Moses is actually blaming God for dropping the ball. And to continue the American football analogy, I was your QB1, Lordy, praise and effect, and Aaron, your QB2. And we gave you the Patrick Mahomes perfect jump pass. Gave you the 99-yard Hail Mary. So you messed up here, not me. But Moses has selective memory problems because God told him in chapter 3, verse 19, that it would not go well with Pharaoh, that it would take the Lord himself to stretch out his hand and strike Egypt with all his wonders before Pharaoh would let them go. And Moses is accusing God of doing evil when in fact God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So this is hardly a model prayer, but the Bible often records people at their lowest ebb, their least spiritual ebb. And this is a prayer from the gut. Prayer from the pain. Nobody wants to feel such misery. I don't want to feel it. I can feel very sorry for myself if things don't go as hoped or planned. But clearly in God's economy, he has used those times to soften my heart. For a time and for a season. And in Exodus 421 God promised to harden Pharaoh's heart to draw out the evil that was already in Pharaoh's heart and by then removing Pharaoh's power to bring about a, gr- a yet greater salvation. And through it all God was also committed to softening Moses' heart. Moses' heart wasn't so compassionate to his brothers and sisters in their misery back in chapter four thirteen. Send someone else, he said. But now his heart is changing since he's experienced such disappointment and evil up close. Now Moses has been brought to a point where he feels something of the compassion that God has for his people. God's never ceasing, round-the-clock compassion for his flock. So if your heart is breaking over a situation that you, yourself, and those whom you love are in, then God is actually training your heart, moving your heart to be closer to his. That's what your misery is about. He's committed to softening your heart And mine. And although it's painful, afterwards it achieves a joy and gratitude that could not be produced without it. And in the following verses in chapter 6, God doesn't rebuke Moses for his prayer. God understands what he's going through, and is patient with him. Instead, the Lord essentially tells him to hang in there and be patient too. Oh, you just wait and see what I've got planned for my people, Moses, and for Pharaoh. Exodus 6.1 But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God is both merciful and just in the New Testament as much as in the Old and he will bring justice on all those who persecute his people if they do not repent. Paul says in 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. While God's people experienced Tenebras in Egypt, very soon it would be Egypt's turn to exit light, enter night. Anyone remember what the ninth plague was? Darkness, literal darkness. So for all their cruelty and oppression, the Egyptians reaped what they sowed. They sowed darkness and reaped it themselves. A darkness that was a sign of another darkness coming their way, death and outer darkness. Yet whatever kind of darkness may be engulfing you, if you have faith in Christ, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, says the psalmist. It will lift one day. Hang on in there, believer. Corrie ten Boom was no stranger to darkness, the type that Nazi oppression brought to the Netherlands in World War II. And when it was discovered that she was protecting Jews in her home, she was arrested along with her family. And she ended up being sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And there she had to watch her sister die. But despite all that, her faith survived. And she helped bring many other prisoners to faith in Christ before she herself was released from Ravensbrück. As it later turned out, due to a technical, sorry, clerical error. And she wrote this. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. sit still and trust the engineer she sat still and trusted in the engineer and she came out the other side and so you the old Baptist minister Octavius Winslow said this The Lord will bring you through the night of weeping into the morning of joy, and your knowledge will be deeper, your faith will be stronger, your joy will be fuller, your hope will be brighter, and your song will be sweeter. And as we come as God's people to Grace Church every Sunday, It is to step into the light of his presence together, the light of his compassionate love together, and to point each other to the true light of the world, the true light who gives light to everyone. And we remind ourselves, as it says in 1 John 2.8, that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The light of the world will finally remove the darkness upon his return forever. So whatever situation or circumstance you may be suffering now, We want you to feel safe here, to shelter together as God's people until the darkness lifts. We want to see your Christ-esteem flourish over and above your self-esteem because that is the way back to the light Christ is everything for you, right? He is your light, your strength, your song. He's died for your darkest sins. He's grabbed that prince, that pharaoh of darkness, and put him in a headlock when he died on the cross. Satan's power and reach is limited. He can roar like a lion. He can prowl around. But he cannot prevent the light from taking this dark world by storm. He can't stop the Great Commission victory parade any more than any other false ideology in the world today. Christ has lived the life of perfect, personal, and perpetual light that God demanded of you. His righteousness is yours by faith, in which, if you know your Lord of the Rings, you now wear like dazzling mithril. So even in your darkest moments your dark nights of the soul that robe of righteousness has not slipped off. The father does not do gift receipts on his son's righteousness. And so God will never condemn you to outer darkness but welcomes you into his glorious light. And so don't be discouraged by your weakness and your indwelling sin, which can feel like slavery sometimes. Look to Christ, who is your life, We battle our sin by running to the light. And there, Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. And to all believers, God's commands are not like attempting to make bricks without straw. Your burden is light because Jesus has fulfilled all your tasks. And so freely, we display our love for God and love for each other, that love which the Holy Spirit is working in us. And finally, Jesus' prayers for you are perfect too. So yours don't have to be. Moses was a frail and sinful mediator for God's people. But one greater than Moses is here. And all this is as true tomorrow, even if it's a particularly blue Monday, as it is on any given Sunday. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we proclaim by faith: exit night, enter light, post tenebras lux. After darkness, light. For the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. For our final deliverance is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen.